Welcome to The Healing Catalyst. I'm your host, Dr. Avanti Kumar Singh, and I know that Ayurveda can transform your life. How? Because it transformed mine. And the best part is, it's easier than you think. Your body has exactly what it needs to heal itself. All you need to do to enhance its healing power is to start practicing healthy routines, which I can teach you. In over 20 years of practicing both Western medicine and Eastern healing traditions, the most important thing I've learned is that healing is a journey we take together. So on this podcast, I'll be demystifying Ayurveda and other integrated medicine, showing how these simple, ancient practices are the keys to unlocking a healthy modern life. We are all healing catalysts because healing starts within. It starts with you and it starts right now. Let's get started. This is a Soulfire production. Episode number 15. Well, hello everyone. Welcome back to season two of the Healing Catalyst podcast. I am so incredibly excited for this new season of the podcast because we have so many amazing things planned for you. Not only are the topics that I've planned really interesting, I mean, we'll be talking about everything from the mind and mindfulness to nutrition, gut health and detoxification. But more importantly, I'm also bringing in experts in various fields of integrative medicine and integrated healing practices. These are thought leaders and experts in their fields. Some of them are friends and colleagues of mine, and others are people that I have admired for a really long time. And I get to have conversations with them that I know will be helpful to all of you. So I'm really looking forward to this new season of the podcast. In addition, there's the new Healing Catalyst Collective, which kicks off today, in which you'll get resources that are curated and created by me, as well as exclusive invitations to webinars, workshops, and events that will be with me teaching on various subjects. So I hope that you'll sign up for the Healing Catalyst Collective. There's a link in the show notes, so be sure to check that out and join. In fact, we've already got the first resource that's related to today's podcast in there for you. So I've been thinking a lot about how to approach the vast amount of information and all of the different topics and subjects that I find so interesting that I think would be helpful to you and begin to narrow it down in some way so that we can really get into different ways to heal your body, your mind, and your spirit. And what I've come up with is to pick a topic each month and focus on that topic for the month in my podcast, in my newsletter, and even in my social media. And so this month, in the month of February, we will be talking about how to heal your mind. And so today on this first solo episode of the new season, we'll be talking about the science of habits. Yep, habits. Because now that we're in February of the new year, many of us have New Year's resolutions from January 1st that feel like a distant memory. Maybe they're just fading away, right? And many of us, myself included, have some shame and feel really bad that maybe we've abandoned some of those very well-intentioned New Year's resolutions that we had planned for ourselves. Many of us feel that maybe we don't have enough willpower or that we don't have enough self-discipline. And this is a really common feeling. 
So much so that there have actually been studies done about New Year's resolutions. I'm not kidding. In fact, the most rigorous study of New Year's resolutions was done at the University of Scranton, and it shows a steep drop-off in how long New Year's resolutions stick around. They found that 77% of the New Year's resolvers studied made it through a full week of their resolutions. Only 77%. And that only 55% stuck with their resolutions for a full month. And in fact, by June, six months later, only 40% of those who had made a New Year's resolution were still sticking with their goal. In addition, this pattern of abandoning New Year's resolutions within the first two weeks of January is so common that there's actually a national day in its honor. Again, I'm not kidding. You can Google it. January 17th is called, quote, New Year's Resolutions Ditch Day, end quote. And so this is obviously something that many of us experience. So many of us walk around feeling bad about ourselves, that we begin to believe that we have no willpower and that we have no self-discipline. And what I've seen is that this belief really harms people in so many ways. Most important, it inhibits healing because then we all give up on many things that are very health supporting as soon as we feel uncomfortable because we don't understand why we feel uncomfortable. So we go back to the old habits that we're trying to change. But what if I told you that the science of habits is not about willpower or self-discipline, but instead it's about brain biochemistry? Would that shift your beliefs about yourself, about your willpower and self-discipline, about your ability to stick to new habits? Well, stay with me, and by the end of this episode, you'll understand that by shifting your brain biochemistry, you can begin to heal your mind and your mindset. So let's go back to that University of Scranton study in which only 77% of New Year's Eve resolvers lasted a week, 55% lasted a month, and only 40% made it to six months. The question here is, why does this happen? And as I said, it's not because of lack of willpower or lack of self-discipline. It's because of brain biochemistry, specifically something called neuroadaptability or neuroadaptation. Now, neuroadaptation is the brain's ability to adapt to whatever you do to your body. And when I say whatever, I mean whatever you do to your body. It can be health supporting or health weakening because the brain actually can't tell the difference. The only thing the brain sees is biochemistry. Anytime there is something that is out of the ordinary, there is a surge of dopamine, that feel-good neurochemical, which causes feelings of pleasure. And a surge of dopamine, if large enough and often enough, is interpreted by the brain as stress. Now, some things definitely cause a bigger surge of dopamine than others. For example, drugs and alcohol definitely trigger a bigger surge of dopamine than, let's say, connecting with your family or going on a romantic date or eating some sweet, juicy fruits on a beautiful summer day. Your brain only sees a flood of dopamine that is not normal. And so it adapts, trying to create a state of balance to protect itself. This is what is called allostasis. Allostasis is actually a less stable form of balance that is created under stress, unlike homeostasis, which is our natural state of balance. 
And so again, the brain is adapting to create a state of balance under stress to protect itself. And the way that it does this is that it switches off some of the dopamine receptors in the brain. That way, it can keep the environment of the brain stable. And so again, something causes a big surge of dopamine. The brain reads this surge as stress and adapts to protect itself by turning off some of the dopamine receptors, thereby downregulating the effects of dopamine. The brain can't tell if the stressor that caused the dopamine surge is health-supporting or health-weakening. The brain doesn't think it's good or bad. It just knows that it's stress, that it's not normal, and it will start trying to protect itself. Okay, so let's pause for a moment and talk about the stressors, the things that cause a dopamine surge in the first place. As I said, the brain doesn't have an opinion about the stressor, but we certainly have opinions about stressors. We see certain stressors as health-supporting or health-weakening. For example, drugs are stressors that cause huge dopamine surges with intense feelings of pleasure. And generally, we see these as health-weakening. Alcohol also causes a huge surge of dopamine and in excess becomes health-weakening. In addition, studies are showing that many behaviors also create these dopamine surges. Gambling, gaming, shopping, scrolling. Again, these aren't things that we think of as bad in and of themselves, right? In fact, many of these behaviors are self-supporting in small amounts. But taken to an extreme, they do become addictive and health-weakening. And what about food? Specifically, processed foods that are literally designed by food companies to create huge dopamine surges, similar to those created by drugs and alcohol. In fact, the way that these foods are processed specifically create more dopamine surges so that we will eat more and more of those foods and therefore buy more and more of those foods. These foods are literally designed to have lots of sugar, salt, and fat, which creates addiction. And if these foods are creating dopamine surges similar to alcohol and drugs, and we're eating them three times a day, it's no wonder that the brain will neuroadapt to deal with the stress of those dopamine surges, which are not normal, and the brain then turns off the dopamine receptors. So your brain is constantly adapting to blunt or decrease the pleasure response because it sees it as abnormal and stressful. So we need more, more, more of the stressor, the drugs, the alcohol, the foods, the behaviors to get the same pleasure response, to get the same dopamine surge. Because over time, our brains turn off more and more dopamine receptors. And this is known as tolerance, the need for more of a stimulus to create the same response. Now, what's interesting is that the brain is trying to protect itself, right? But this actually doesn't help the human being attached to that brain to engage in less alcohol use or less drug use or eating less of those processed foods or doing less of those behaviors. It actually does the exact opposite. It only makes us want to consume or do more, more, more of those things to create that pleasure response that we need. So it's really not a very effective long-term strategy by the brain. But the problem is our brain has biochemically altered the response by turning off dopamine receptors, which then results in addiction. 
And to overcome any addiction, the treatment is to stop using that addictive substance or to stop doing that addictive behavior. That's why there are drug and alcohol rehab centers, right? To help stop using the drugs and alcohol and to also cope with the withdrawal symptoms, which can kill you if not monitored and treated carefully. The thing is that when it comes to processed food and other behaviors that are addictive, there are no rehab centers. There's no treatment for the withdrawal symptoms, even though we have the same types of withdrawal symptoms, which may not kill us in the moment, but take a huge toll on our health over time. Food and other behaviors are not viewed the same as alcohol and drugs, even though the exact same biochemistry shifts are happening in the brain. Food and other behaviors don't kill us right away, but they make us less and less healthy over time. They also eat away at our self-esteem. We end up feeling like failures because we can't stick to the well-intentioned health-supporting habits we want to create. We can't stick to our New Year's resolutions. Remember, the mechanism is the same. These processed foods and these behaviors cause a huge dopamine surge in the brain. And the brain sees it as stressful and then adapts to protect itself and to protect you. And so it downregulates the dopamine receptors in the brain. And so then you need more, more, more of that food or that behavior to create the same pleasurable response. The withdrawal symptoms cause misery, they cause pain, they cause depression, and a strong urge for relief. You just want to have that pleasurable feeling back. But really, it's actually just that you want to relieve the pain that you're feeling and you want to feel normal. You want to feel the way you used to feel before you started eating those processed foods or engaging in those behaviors or doing the drugs or drinking the alcohol. And so again, you give up on your very well-intentioned resolutions to eat less processed foods or to stop gaming so much or decrease your scrolling time or stop your binge shopping and you end up relapsing. Now, the good news is that you can actually retrain your brain to switch the dopamine receptors back on. This is where Ayurveda comes in because Ayurveda works with neuroadaptation, not against it. It works with your brain biochemistry, not against it, because it helps to ease your brain biochemistry and slowly shifts it back to normal. That means that over time, your dopamine surges get a little bit smaller and they get a little bit slower and a little bit lower until they're back where they should be and your dopamine receptors are turned back on. In essence, Ayurveda helps ease the withdrawal symptoms or cravings experienced when trying to replace dopamine surge habits with dopamine regulating habits. Cravings, as we've already talked about, are caused by overstimulation of the pleasure centers, which leads to neuroadaptation and addiction. But Ayurveda can help decrease these cravings by calming the brain and by shifting the brain's biochemistry. Let's talk about three ways that you can help to calm your brain using Ayurveda to shift your neuroadaptation back into a healthier state so that you can also shift your brain biochemistry. The first is to add certain foods to your diet that will actually calm the craving response that you get for more stimulating foods, specifically salt, sugar, and fat. These are also the substances that are in many of the processed foods that cause the dopamine surges in the first place. There are simple things you can do. 
You can replace regular table salt with natural salt, specifically mineral-rich Himalayan salt. Next, you can replace white refined sugar with coconut palm sugar. And last, you can replace butter or margarine with ghee, which is clarified butter. All three of these help to modify the dopamine surge. They still taste good. I mean, you get the salt, the sweet, the buttery, all those tastes that we love, but they don't have the same effect on your dopamine levels in the brain. And these are small changes, but they have profound results. They start to move you from a state of allostasis back to a state of homeostasis. And when this starts to happen, the foods that you used to crave become less powerful. It's a really amazing process. The second thing you can do is to start making a digestive tea called CCF, which is cumin, coriander, and fennel. Now, this is a traditional digestive tea that is extremely powerful. It helps to heal the gut mucosa, improves absorption of nutrients from your food, and it also stimulates the lymphatic system. Most importantly, it helps to calm the brain. I make this tea every single morning. I put it in a thermos and then I sip it all day long. This tea is powerful for a few reasons. The first is its temperature. Hot water cleans better than cold water. The same is true inside of the body. Hot water also allows for more efficient removal of wastes. The second reason this is a powerful tea is that it's made of three very powerful spices, cumin, coriander, and fennel. They are three of the most powerful spice medicines that we have to stimulate digestion, increase metabolism, and to wake up a really dull or sluggish gut to help get things moving again. You'll also notice as you start drinking this tea on a daily basis and throughout the day that your belly feels a little warmer, and so your digestifier is actually working better. It helps to absorb nutrients better from your food and assimilate them into your body, and then to reduce and eliminate toxins. So you'll also feel a little more energetic. You'll feel like your inflammation is going down. And most importantly, you'll see that your withdrawal cravings are also going down. Your brain gets calmed by this tea. Your brain isn't always looking for more dopamine. And don't worry, the recipe is linked in the show notes. And the third way to calm your brain and shift its biochemistry is through meditation. Meditation is really, really powerful medicine. I say this all the time. And it's really powerful medicine for your brain because it helps you deal with your emotions and any mental stress that you're feeling. It also has a direct anti-inflammatory effect on both the body and the brain because it helps to reduce the stress response and the cascade of hormones that usually follow. More importantly, with respect to what we're talking about today, with habit formation and willpower and self-discipline, meditation really helps to control withdrawal cravings. Cravings, as we've already talked about, are caused by overstimulation of the pleasure centers, which leads to neuroadaptation and addiction. But meditation blocks this overstimulation response, teaching the brain not to be fooled by it. Meditation has also been found to increase serotonin, which is another hormone that helps you feel good. So even if you're having withdrawal symptoms, just a few minutes of meditation can help you immensely with calming the brain because you have an increase of serotonin as well as many of the dopamine receptors are being turned back on. So start with just a few minutes of meditation. It'll really help you. Then you can work up to five minutes and then go from there to 10 or 15 minutes. 
But what you'll see is that it definitely helps you to control withdrawal cravings and to help manage the withdrawal symptoms and calm your brain. And so to review, the science of habits is not about willpower or self-discipline. It's about brain biochemistry. It's about neuroadaptation. I hope that after listening to this episode, you feel better about the fact that you may have been having a hard time following through on your New Year's resolutions and that there's actually something you can do to start shifting your brain biochemistry back to the way it's supposed to be, not when it's in a constant allostatic response of trying to protect itself, but instead shifting it to a more homeostasis where you release the appropriate amount of dopamine and have dopamine surges that the brain can actually handle. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, we have tons of new things coming in season two. Make sure that you check out the show notes for the link to the download that goes along with this episode. And as always, if you have any questions or need more resources, please reach out to me either through my website or through Instagram. Until next time, be well. So I want you all to know that I do not have sponsors for my show. But I have decided to share with you, my beloved listeners, one podcast or product that I love during each episode. And my reason is really simple. It's my way of paying it forward and bringing others along with me who are doing amazing work in the world. It's another way that I can be of greater service to all of you. So here's my first recommendation, The Kelly Show, which is also my friend Kelly Tennant's show. She interviewed me for my last episode. In case you missed that, make sure you check it out. We've linked both of those in the show notes. Now, Kelly's show, which is actually called The Kelly Show, is all about liberation. Kelly helps women break free from a lineage of toxic lies and rules. And in her episodes, she asks you to challenge social norms, encourages you to create your own narrative and invites you to come back to your own evolving truth. She is an intuitive facilitator, a Reiki and hypnosis practitioner, a women's circle facilitator, and a plant medicine advocate. And she's also my friend. And I think she's doing much needed healing work in this world. I think you'll really enjoy Kelly's podcast, The Kelly Show. I hope you'll give it a listen. If you love this podcast, and I so hope you did, please subscribe. That way, you'll get real-time updates anytime I post a new episode. And if you're feeling really inspired, please leave a review so that others can find this podcast more easily. If you want to learn more, visit me on the interwebs at avantikumarsingh.com, and you can subscribe to my newsletter, where I send exclusive invites to my events, special announcements, and give you more self-healing tools and tips. And if you want to hang out even more with me, I spend most of my time on Instagram. You can find me at Avanti Kumar Singh, and we can connect more there. Until next time, remember, with the right catalyst, you have the power to activate your own healing, because healing starts within.